All right, hi everyone. Hello. I've, this is I've been doing the uh, real truth about health since the very first uh, year, and um, it's exciting to be part of this. And I know that there's more people who are going to see this after today and when it gets repurposed and sent out. But for those who are here now, you know that it's Mother's Day, and so I want to start by speaking to Mother's Day. Um, with GMOs, it's an interesting thing in that you can avoid the mother. You can create new organisms without sexual intercourse, without uh, you know, birds and the bees. You can create new organisms uh, that, that don't resemble sexual reproduction. And in that sense, you're taking over a very important job. Um, now, when one of the things that I think about in terms of mothering, Mother's Day is the mothering instinct of animals and humans. And it's a precious, natural, uh, important part of biology and of life. And I remember my friend um, from the Center for Food Safety uh, tell me that the early attempts for genetic engineering, one of them was to genetically engineer out the mothering instinct, to eliminate the mothering instinct of livestock so that you could take their babies away and they won't care. And this was um, to Andy Kimbrell, who told me this, an example of the most, one of the most egregious things that we can do with genetic engineering is to eliminate the mothering instinct. And it certainly is a huge violation of natural law, in my opinion, uh, as is a lot of aspects of industrial agriculture. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the mothering piece for a second because of Mother's Day. And then we're going to jump into uh, deeper knowledge about GMO 2.0. In fact, we're going to start with the microbiome right now. The importance of a healthy microbiome in the infant, which is the bacteria and other microbes throughout the body of the, of the infant, but particularly in the gut and within that, particularly in the large intestine. It is so important that when it is properly established, it helps that child's health for the rest of their life and can be passed on to future generations. If a child has a C-section, often the health is compromised because the child gets inoculated with certain microbes in the birth canal during the birthing process. In fact, in the second trimester, milk-digesting bacteria move into the birth canal. And that is one of the things that inoculates the infant, so that they can digest milk, so that their microbes can digest milk. And part of the milk from the mother during breastfeeding is not designed for the infant. It is indigestible by the infant. It stays intact through the stomach, through the small intestine, to feed the microbes in the large intestine. 
So we have evolved as a species to provide microbes for the infant, to nourish the microbes of the infant, and more microbes come through the milk from the mother, and more microbes come from the nipple on the skin, so maybe 28% of the of the microbes in the in the gut of the infant come from the milk about 10% from the nipple some come from the birthing process all fed by the by the part of the milk that is not designed to feed the infant but it gets even more interesting when the infant gets sick somehow the milk changes to support the sick infant how does that happen because the microbes in the saliva of the infant change and feedback through the breast to the mother's microbiome and that changes the nature of the milk to support the health of the baby. It's absolutely incredible. But less so when we realize that we are not just human individuals. We have a community inside us that has co-evolved with us for as long as humanity has evolved. And we can get away with a measly 23,000 genes. That's less than an earthworm. Because we use the microbiome information of the 3.5 million genes and the microbes living inside us. And we've also outsourced a lot of the daily metabolic and chemical functions to the microbiome. Maybe uh, Kiran Krishnan, who's an expert, the human microbiome, he, he thinks about 90%. There are things that we can't do that only the microbes inside of us can do. They can tell if there's a particular cell that needs to be repaired along the gut walls. We have no way of knowing that except for the microbes living inside us. Dr. Dietrich Klinghart tells me that when they reduce the amount of microbiomes of the bacteria and, and bugs in our brain, yes, they're in our brain, our IQ goes down. How is it that the bugs in our brain support intelligence. There's a programming in the microbes that we don't understand. And it is so intelligent, it carries in many ways the imprint or the blueprint or the current reading of the health of our body. So much so, some of you don't know about this, there's a technique called fecal transplant. Yes, it's exactly what you just thought. It's done with rats and mice and humans. And I'll give you a story that my friend Dr. David Perlmutter told me. He said there was a 12-year-old boy, I think it was 12-year-old, who was autistic, could hardly speak. He ran into the mother at, in a parking lot and ended up engaging in a conversation. And he told her, he recommended a fecal transplant. You take fecal matter from a healthy person and put it in a suppository in a specific way. And she decided to go forward with it. 
They did it in England. Two weeks later, the 12-year-old boy was speaking in full sentences. He showed me a picture when I was visiting him in his house, this is David Perlmutter, of a, of a rat, I don't know if it was a rat or a mouse, exhibiting autistic symptoms, and they did a fecal transplant from a healthy animal, and those went away. Sometimes after a fecal transplant, people get heavy or thin. It turns out that the nature of the bacteria living inside us can dictate how heavy or thin we are. It can dictate, the bacteria and the microbiome inside us can tell us to desire a cupcake because it needs sugar. It can tell us to desire social interaction because it wants more microbial diversity. And if, it, if we do something that it wants, it can stimulate the reward center and train us to be supporters of its community. The microbes make the happy chemical precursors, L-tryptophan and tyrosine, are produced by the microbes inside of us, which then become serotonin and dopamine. And the serotonin becomes melatonin. So it produces happy chemicals. And if we understand the microbes, that's micro Jedi army that's working inside us, we get to appreciate it and love it. If a woman has breast cancer, certain type of bacteria moves into the breast. They thought it was a bad thing. They killed the bacteria. The cancer spread. It was to contain certain fungi move into the brain during Alzheimer's to help protect the brain. We don't realize how much support we are getting from this unseen kingdom, kingdoms. But it's not just inside us. It's also in the soil. A healthy microbial system can produce healthy, nutrient-rich crops that can resist disease and don't need chemicals for survival. The microbes draw down the carbon from the air, often through the plants. Microbes can condense water vapor in the atmosphere to create rain. They can align um, water molecules and refrigerate them so they can become snow or frost at higher temperatures. There are extremophiles that live inside volcanoes and at the bottom of the depths of the ocean. Using laws of nature, we don't fully understand. Now, what's interesting about the microbes is that unless we do something Genetic engineering could begin to destroy the microbiomes inside of us, in the soil, in the atmosphere. You see, micro we already said a fecal transplant, just a small amount of fecal matter from a different person or a different animal can change the nature of a person's health. Slight changes in the microbiome from antibiotics or the addition of certain probiotics can make significant changes. 
In fact, it's the changes in the microbes inside of us that can give rise to 80% of the diseases we face, according to Karen Krishnan. 80%. You can find their source, among other things, as the changes in the microbiome. Now, we're, let's talk about genetic engineering in terms of genetically engineering microbes. And for those that have a pen and paper, I'd like you to write down this website, responsibletechnology.org slash take action. Responsibletechnology.org slash take action. We'll come back to that. So if you, genetic, if you genetically engineer a microbe and you put it outside, take it for a walk, first of all, they replicate very fast. The numbers are stunning. The numbers are so big, it's hard to really put them into perspective. Some will die in the, in the environment, but some will survive. Then they can travel. We did not need a pandemic to know that microbes can travel. In fact, my friend, Dr. Elaine Ingham, tells me that she was approached by whistleblowers at the EPA. They told her that they did a study to see how far genetically engineered bacteria would travel. So they created some nitrogen-fixing bacteria genetic, through genetic engineering, released it in a field in Louisiana, and set up monitoring stations. They found it at least 11 miles away the next year, another 11 miles the next year. They stopped funding the study at some point, but members of the EPA who were curious and concerned, they continued to monitor for the presence of this genetically engineered bacteria. And it turns out they eventually found it everywhere they checked, all over the planet. So if you release a genetically engineered microbe, it might go everywhere. And it contains changes in its genetic code, possibly in its activity, possibly in, the, in its byproducts that it creates, possibly in its interactions, that have never co-evolved with us. And it may change the way a pretty critical microbe functions, one that may be important for our health, important for the soil, Important for the algae, which produce 70% of the Earth's oxygen, or the fungi networks underneath, underneath forest floors that shuttle nutrients between mother trees and other trees, speaking of Mother's Day, and can help the young trees that are not yet above the canopy. They're not getting any sunlight, but they're getting the nutrients from the trees that are at the canopy because it's transferred through fungal networks. So just like the magic inside us, there's a magic inside the whole world, in the oceans, in the forests, from these microbes. But if we introduce a genetically engineered microbe into the mix, we might destroy the nature of nature, damage the ecosystem, or collapse it cause disease. Now, what's interesting about microbes is that when they travel, they also mutate. Everyone knows about mutations now. We had a lesson on that over the last three years. Most people don't realize that many microbes 
transfer genes to other microbes. They transfer genes to other microbes. It's called horizontal gene transfer. There's three ways that microbes do it. And if you genetically engineer a microbe, change a genetic sequence, add a trait, it travels, it mutates, and now it's like changing, you know, like exchanging baseball cards or Dungeon and Dragon cards. It's exchanging it with other microbes around the world that they in turn travel, mutate, and exchange microbes. And they in turn travel and mutate and exchange microbes. Now, that's a kind of genetic roulette, which happens to be the name of one of my movies and one of my books. And here it's very, very relevant. What could go wrong? I'm going to give you an example of what could go wrong as a worst case scenario. One of many. On our website, you can go to the and see the film, Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle. In the beginning, I interviewed Dr. Elaine Ingham. She had a graduate student. The graduate student wanted to get his PhD doing research on a genetically engineered microbe that would survive in the wild. So they found a group that was genetically engineering bacterium called Klebsiella planticula. Elaine tells me it's on the root structure of every single plant in the world. But this genetically engineered variety was engineered to produce alcohol out of plant cells. And it was a very well-meaning, potentially brilliant, potentially cataclysmic idea to distribute the bacteria to farmers who can then take their crop residues and instead of burn them, put them into barrels with the bacteria. And then two weeks later, it would come out as alcohol to run their tractors or sell for additional money. And then there was nutrient-rich sludge at the bottom, which was going to make great fertilizer. So this group was ready to go. And they had already done all the tests required by the Environmental Protection Agency. And it was, it was stunning. It was ready to go. And it was set for a date to release to see how far it would spread. This was before Elaine Ingham had been approached by the EPA, where we know that can spread around the world. Two weeks before that date where it was going to be released, her graduate student walked into the lab on it was a Saturday morning and was mortified and called Elaine at home and was just beside himself. So many of his plants had died. He thought he screwed it up and was going to not be able to submit the research to get his PhD. So Elaine tells me, so let's, this is what I did. I just told him, let's sort through, take the ones that were, you know, they had three different groups. They had the ones that were grown in regular soil, ones that were grown in soil with the normal Klebsiella planticula, and then the third one where it was the genetically engineered Klebsiella planticula. Only that group that had been mixed with the genetically engineered bacterium died. It had turned the plants into alcohol. It was slime on the surface of the soil. I asked Elaine what might happen if the graduate student never did that study and they released the genetically engineered 
alcohol-producing bacteria. She said, worst case scenario, and this, by the way, is a really bad scenario, the end of terrestrial plant life. Think about it. Imagine that this bacterium, that all this bacteria spreads and starts destroying plants. It may kill its parent natural version that may die in the presence of alcohol, but the genetically engineered variety doesn't. So it may displace that niche on the root structure of all the plants, and it's found everywhere. And she said, how would you stop it? You can watch the film. Don't let the gene out of the bottle. Now, this is an example of a microbe that could cause, theoretically, we don't know if it would have because there's a lot of ifs, caused a cataclysm simply by doing the job it was intended to do, although doing it better and in more ecosystems than had been considered. We didn't even have to think about swapping the genes with other microbes. So now you have all these different microbes creating alcohol. We didn't think about the mutations that might result. This is just doing what it, was, what it was meant to do. We also didn't think about the fact that the genetic engineering process causes massive collateral damage and ends up doing changes that are unpredicted. And we'll talk about that later. This is just assuming that the genetic engineering was, was precise, which it usually isn't, safe, which it usually isn't, that alone could have potentially ended terrestrial plant life. They're releasing genetically engineered bacterium, bacteria in, on farm fields that, that fix nitrogen. And they're saying, oh, good, we don't have to use nitrogen fertilizer. So it won't get washed into the Mississippi and brought into the Gulf and create dead zones where there, when there's an overabundance of nitrogen, then it kills off all of the life because there's a bloom and all that. But what happens if the bacteria that, that fixes nitrogen gets swept into the Mississippi and brought down? Maybe it'll transfer into algae. Maybe it'll transfer into other microbes there producing nitrogen. So you have algae that might produce its own dead zones. That's an example. I asked Kieran Krishnan, can you think of a agricultural um, biological intervention through genetic engineering that might hurt human health? Instantly, he said this, when you release something in the soil, you want it to survive. Microbes don't always survive. You need to build a survival mechanism. And it often has two components. It's antimicrobial. It kills off the competition. It's also antibiotic resistant, not killable with antibiotics. So it's like building a tank around this nitrogen fixing microbe. Forget about the nitrogen fixing. What if the tank transfers? What if we eat it because there's some soil residue on the food and we eat it? And we do bring in soil residue into our mouths all the time. And what if that tank that helps provide extra survival becomes incorporated into a pathogen, a dangerous, negative microbe inside our gut? 
Now, a lot of microbes are there that are positive and negative, but when they're in the proper ratio, it's fine. Some of those so-called negative ones have an important job and they're used as part of this mix. But what happens if it becomes antimicrobial and starts killing off? What if it becomes antibiotic resistant so you can't treat it? So now you've ended up transferring genetic material that were genetically engineered from soil into human gut bacteria. There was a genetically engineered microbe that was created to stop this other microbe that causes that rain and snow and sleet and, and ice and frost, Pseudomonas syringae. It's on strawberries. It's on potatoes. So at higher temperatures, frost will occur and the crops can become damaged. So they created a genetically engineered version that was impotent. And they were hoping it would replace the one that was effective so that it would prevent loss of crops from frost. So it turns out they put it onto one field. There was an outcry by environmentalists and they convinced a judge to, to tell them to stop and to sterilize the whole field. The excuse at that point was there are weeds that die from frost. And if you put that out there, some of those weeds will survive over the winter and you'll end up with super weeds. That's plausible. But we now know that that Pseudomonas syringae is in the atmosphere, creating rain and snow. What happened? And it gets pushed up there. I live in California now and the wind comes in and pushes against the trees and creates an upward flow and microbes go into the air. What if those microbes that were genetically engineered, displaced the ones that caused rain to occur off the coast from the coast of California. It could change weather patterns here and around the world. So this is an example of the web of life in this unseen kingdoms that we are messing with. And Bear Monsanto has a Monsanto was bought by Bayer. They have a, a, a joint venture with Ginkgo Bioworks, Conjoined Bio. It's going to create nitrogen-fixing microbes and put them in the soil. And there's another one. There's Pivot Bio. They already have microbes in 4% of the U.S. corn fields. So we have these big companies putting out quadrillions and quadrillions of microbes. But then you also have students using CRISPR. CRISPR is a way to create a GMO, gene editing. It's also prone to massive side effects. And it's used in all these college biology classes. But it's also used now even in high school. It costs less than $2,000 to buy a lab. Many people are, are doing it in their basements. And the most common organism to use is microbes. Which microbes? Well, you have a choice. You can order from one online store over 10,000 microbes. And then where do you cut the, the microbe along the genome We're using CRISPR? We'll talk about that. You can buy 120,000 tar targets, CRISP, you know, sequences to target. And if those aren't enough, you can make your own, design them online, type it in, it'll be sent to you. 
If the 10,000 microbes aren't enough, you can go to your local stream or your soil. You can pick them up off your body and genetically engineer. Now think about it. What if every biology class in high school and every biology lab in college and all sorts of home hobbyists are now producing genetically engineered microbes that can travel, mutate, swap genes, and damage or collapse ecosystems. You know that some of those people are going to get it in their hands and they're going to put it in their mouth. What happens with the oral microbiome? It's one of the most rich and diverse microbiomes. There's microbes in there, bacteria, that produce nitric oxide. When we don't have those, and I'm told that using traditional mouthwashes can kill that, hypertension can go up by number of points. Gum disease can increase heart attack risk by 50%. The microbes in the mouth are important. And then, of course, billions get brought down from the mouth through the digestive tract. So right now, we are in a situation of potential devastation. And the Institute for Responsible Technology, which I founded 20 years ago, we're focusing on protecting the microbiome. We want to protect, we want to make responsible regulation on GMOs around the world, but we're starting with the microbiome because it's the most urgent. Because unless it gets turned around, we can make irreversible changes that can affect the health of all living beings and all future generations. And what changes are those? Well, governments around the world are turning a blind eye to GMOs that are created from CRISPR and other gene editing technologies, especially if there's no foreign genes put in. But that doesn't mean that it's not dangerous if there's no foreign genes put in. You could knock out genes, you can create changes. Much of it is unpredictable. And how much do we know about the microbiome? Well, there's about a trillion microbes. We've identified 1%, maybe. So we don't know the majority of what's going on, and yet we are allowing the biosphere to be flooded, to be flooded with microbes that can destroy or damage the microbes that we don't even understand yet. Thank you for listening to Live Healthy, Be Well. Please subscribe to the podcast using whatever app you listen to podcasts with. Or go to livehealthybewell.com to subscribe. This podcast will inform you about health dangers, corporate and government corruption, and ways we can protect ourselves, our families, and our planet. I interview scientists, experts, authors, whistleblowers, and many people who have not shared their information with the world until now. Please share the podcast with your friends. It will enlighten and may even save lives. Safe eating.